Hello and welcome to Marketing Without the Marketing. My name is Michael Bosey and I'd like to do another reprise of an episode like I did last week. Another one of my top episodes that, you know, as I've been thinking about this, is really relevant to the topic at hand. And you know what? I feel like, hey, I've got a great statement or articulation of this topic already. I may as well sort of use that again and let it sort of cement these views. And here's why I'm doing this, because if you've been following along, you know that I'm in this in the middle of a series about running a 21st century business, right? I, I call it counterintuitive lessons from mentors and mistakes. And it's all the things that I've learned in you know, nearly five years of running my own business. So unit one was five or six episodes uh, called the new business mindset, sort of about the functional aspects of running a business. Uh, Unit two was five episodes called the new marketing and sales, which I finished up a couple weeks ago, again, right in the wheelhouse of this podcast, right? And next week, I'm going to start on the third unit, uh, which that unit is called the new customer relationship. So what to do to secure a customer and then keep a customer. And here's how I designed this, right? I'm kind of going to trace this in chronological order based on the life cycle of the customer relationship. I thought that'd be kind of a cool way to handle this. So take a customer from pre-contract or pre-sale, uh, how to set rates or pricing, how to ask for the sale, contracts, and, and then customer retention. And the first one is going to be about NDAs or non-disclosure agreements. That's the where I'm going to start next week. And the working title that I have or the working subtitle, not sure yet, is, um, is called Mistrust is Not a Good Starting Point which gives you an idea of where I stand on the issue. <laughs> so, but before I get to that episode, I thought it would be useful to put it into some context. So way back in episode 14, I published an episode called Ideas Versus Execution. It's been one of my most listened to episodes ever uh, in the top 10 all time out of all of the hundred and something episodes that I've produced. And what it's about is that, well, ideas are cheap even the good ones. You know how your best idea or my best idea isn't really worth anything until you get in there and do something with it. And people tend to overvalue their ideas as a rule, right? I do it too. We all do it. And this episode was about how to pick the right idea to bank on, but then how to do the research, how to test that idea, how to put it through the ringer, how to develop it using the lean startup methodology, of which I'm a huge proponent. And then maybe most importantly, how to assess whether you, you know, is it succeeding or should you give up on this idea, right? And then after listening to this episode, uh, you'll have some context for next week's episode on NDAs. So subscribe via email. If you want me to remind you next week, it should be a good one. For now, let's rewind and go back to episode 14 and talk about how execution is everything. Here it is. Hi, this is Michael Bosey. Welcome to the podcast, Marketing Without the Marketing. Uh, Glad you could join me. Uh, Today, I would like to talk about ideas versus execution. When it comes down to it, ideas, ideas are easy, right? Anybody can have ideas. If you're like me and you're creative and you're thinking all the time and your head is constantly buzzing with new ideas, I mean, ideas, I mean, truly, they're a dime a dozen, 
But really, it's what you do with them that counts. And the execution is the thing that's really difficult. The ideas are simple. Executing is really hard. So do you have the persistence to actually stick with an idea? Is, well, is it an idea that's strong enough to withstand that persistence, right? Is, I mean, you got to start with something that's a good idea. If you're going to devote more time to it, if you're going to develop it, if you're going to do something with that idea, uh, it better be a strong idea to start, right? You think of it as a foundation. And is it actually a strong enough foundation to build on it? I think to make this a little simpler, because uh, I struggle with this myself, but I think the key thing is to choose which ideas to turn into projects. I think that's at least the way that I make it manageable anyway, right? Because if you think about it, your life is kind of a series of projects. Your job, a project. Uh, in today's world, it's not likely that you'll keep the same job for your entire career like our parents' generation did, right? Retire with a pension and all that, right? People switch jobs all the time now. That means really when you think about it, each job is actually kind of a project. If you know it's not, if that job, that particular position is not going to occupy you for your entire life, well, that means it's a project. So what's your project now? Whether it's your job or something else, a job outside of a job. I mean, is that project something that you're really passionate about? Or is it just a holding pattern for the next project? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because there's, there's tons of times where you're doing something now so that you can sort of move on to the next thing. It might be a stepping stone or it might truly be a holding pattern where you're sort of, you know, circling the airport until you're clear to land. Uh, maybe it's to build up the extra time, the space, the money, whatever it is to go and, and do the thing that you're passionate about. When the ideas sort of turn to projects, that's where, you know, you really got to start to make some, some determinations there. Does the, like I said, are the ideas strong enough to actually turn into projects? Are the projects based on a good set of ideas and a good set of assumptions? And, you know, I tend to think that any worthwhile project it probably includes at least one large idea. You know, probably it requires a bunch of supporting small ideas too, but it probably has at least one large idea. Or, you know, I don't know. I This is the way that I think of it. You may have a different concept, but I tend to think one large driving idea and then some supporting ideas. And the thing is, if the small ideas don't support the big idea or they're not harmonious with the big idea, that's probably going to cause an issue, right? And this is why I feel like the execution is difficult, because not only does it take persistence, but I think to make something successful, you really have to try uh, to do your research on the market first. You know, there are a lot of people who have ideas who say, oh, look, I'm experiencing an issue or a problem right now in my life where, oh, wouldn't an app solve that? Wouldn't it be great if they had a website that did this? Wouldn't it be great if there was a product that existed that could solve this issue? Now, that's great because that's the genesis of an idea. But oftentimes that, you know, just because you're having an issue with that doesn't mean that's going to turn into a product that you can sell or that's going to help other people. With that, So the best thing that you can do is try to test that. And so, you know, I mean, in the Lean Startup me methodology, Lean Startup by Eric Ries, 
Um, you know, the quickest way to test that is, is with the concept of an MVP or minimum viable product, right? Get something out there that's incredibly simple to produce that starts to test the concept. Is it actually viable? Put it into the market and see what happens. And key tenet of this whole thing is to make sure that it doesn't cost you a lot of time or money or effort uh, to get that product out there. All you're doing is testing it just to make sure that the, you know, that there's some evidence that the market actually wants that. Really, really valuable. Now, my way of doing that, when I first started my business, the very beginning of 2014, I did a survey, I took one facet of my audience, which was nonfiction authors, and I did a survey and ran it for 14 months, collected a few hundred responses, uh, which I am preparing a summary, uh, which you can sign up here on this site uh, at controlmousemedia.com. Uh, to get the full report, and I'll be publishing some highlights to my blog. And the idea here was to learn about the audience, uh, to test some of my assumptions. I mean, I had worked with these folks for 17 years with nonfiction authors. Even though I felt like I should know them really well, I want to hear from them. And I want to, I do have a set of assumptions, but I wanted to test those. And there were definitely some things that surprised me about this. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. But then the other benefit of this was to learn the language that they use. How do they think of themselves? How do they self-identify? This language is incredibly important because once you know, okay, here are the issues that these folks are struggling with, and then here's the language that they use, I mean, that right there is a powerful driver of your overall content strategy. You want that to be in sync. You don't want to be speaking a different language from your customers. And there's only one way to learn is to interact with them, to be reading the things that they're uh, writing and or posting, talking to them. To them directly so that you understand their language or doing things like a survey or the minimum viable product, right? All these things where you're actually getting some feedback and you're learning from your audience, really, really important. So anyway, I, I would say here's the, the other thing about ideas. I mean, I started with the concept of ideas are easy and you know, when you're interacting with an audience, I mean, you know, facts and reality can get in the way of ideas. Um, and, you know, that's okay. You want to know that. Sometimes I say a, a no is better than a maybe. And when you're developing an idea, if you encounter something that that just says, hey, look, you should stop, <laughs> right? If, if the idea is not taking off and this project is suffering because the idea, the root of, of this, uh, which is the idea, is not strong enough, at some point, you're going to iterate and iterate and iterate, and you got to know when to stop. Um, this is why the, the concept of the MVP works really well. I mean, it's best to look for an idea that actually solves a problem that's known, right? And key tenet of the of Lean Startup is to look for known problems by finding evidence, Right? Look for areas where your market, where your audience, there's evidence that they're struggling and a huge indicator is where they're actually coming up with these jerry-rigged solutions to solve an issue. I mean, that to me says, all right, they're, 
They're locked in uh, to this concept that you have. Uh, they know that they have this problem. And oh, guess what? They're actually finding and or making other solutions. I mean, that's a great way for you to come in and say, hey, you know what? I think I can solve that better for you. Let me come up with a product, a service, or something around that that actually helps you solve that issue. And one last thing I'll say about ideas. Um, you know, I often see uh, startups and small businesses, they have an idea and then they protect it with their life, right? Oh, I can't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Let's do a, you know, a non-disclosure agreement. Oh my goodness, you know, it's just like this very protective old mindset. And I just feel like, you know, how is your idea going to grow if you don't get it out there? I mean, honestly, if you have a great idea and someone executes it before you do, then they deserve to succeed on that. And I really believe that because, you know, you can come up with dozens and dozens of ideas, but if you don't act on any of them, look, someone else is going to have that idea, whether they get it from you or not. And if they find the audience, come up with a solution around that idea and they execute on it and they beat you to it, good for them. I mean, really, this is, if your idea is strong enough and you're interested in it enough and you're passionate about it enough, then do it, right? Get going on it. I mean, this is the great thing about today's world is that you can get started. You don't need to wait. You can move and you can start uh, building your product or prototypes for you know, hundreds of dollars, not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if your idea is really good, you're psyched about it, you've got some evidence that your audience is psyched about it, do it. Go for it. Go. Run. Now. It's really, I mean, it's all there uh, for you, but don't sit there and try to protect it. I, I don't think that's going to do you any good. Uh, you know, to me, get the idea out there. Start talking to people about it because otherwise, how else are you going to find, how else are you going to find out if, this actually does solve a problem for people. I mean, you need to start to get some validation, even from friends and family. Don't just try to hide away and protect it. I think that's death to an idea. I mean, it really needs to air out, get out there, sort of discover itself, and then, you know, actually see if it's valuable. Okay, so I'll leave it there. I think you get the idea. Ideas are easy. It's execution that's hard. So I hope that you'll take this, get out there, Start attacking your next idea and, you know, start to do great things, change the world, all that. Uh, I'm rooting for you. Thanks so much for listening. I always appreciate the attention. Uh, more here on this site at controlmousemedia.com. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.